Health and happiness, everyone. Welcome to the Strength and Motion show, an online experience curated specifically for the members and fans of Strength and Motion Academy. If you haven't heard of our space before, we are a 24-7 gym in Midvale, Western Australia, and our goal is to provide a space where people can build a strong and mobile body using a functional and holistic health approach to training and life. Today, we are talking movement. If you listen to our previous episode, you'll understand that we covered the overview of the holistic way, which is our four pillars, movement nutrition, sleep, and stress. So if you are a regular at the common commercial gym and looking for a healthy change, or you're just a complete beginner who's looking to get started into their first steps into their health and fitness journey, this is the podcast to enable that, right? So our last episode was overviewing the four pillars, movement, nutrition, sleep, and stress. Today is the deep delve or the deep dive into movement. I'm very excited for this because this is where our journey started, Nav. And then our following three episodes are going to be deep diving into nutrition, then sleep, and then stress. So, Nav, kick me off here. What does movement mean to you? And also, welcome to the show. Nav, thank co-host. you. Thank you. Yeah, awesome. Welcome to the show to you. Yeah, thanks for Yeah, yeah, yeah. Co-hosting, co-hosting. Awesome, yeah. awesome. Great intro, by the way. Appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. For those that don't know, Josh wrote all of that himself, and he's done very well to prepare. It's well these. rehearsed, guys. Practice makes perfect, and that's what I tell every single one of my clients. Absolutely, especially with movement, right? Yeah, especially with movement. So yeah. roll into it. Hit me with it, Nav. Tell me what does movement mean to you, man? Like, I I think this is something that. I am looking forward to expressing to people. I share it with lots of people, especially my clients that get to know me closer because we work so close with our clients. Mm -hmm. But to me, the gym isn't just the ability to look good or be strong. Uh, Movement to me is just a a piece of the larger puzzle. Mm -hmm. And that puzzle is health and well-being and living a great life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And movement is a big part of that. Yeah. A huge part. Uh, There's so many aspects of, life that doesn't give what movement gives mm-hmm. uh mm-hmm. if you don't use it you lose it if you're not using your yeah, body and moving yeah. your tissue and understanding the edges and lengths of your body uh where you can extend and contract and and also the ability to be aware of your own body and your own nervous system and mm-hmm. your own posture and to be able to relax into that and move it in ways that yeah. serve your life mm-hmm. uh, being able to walk comfortably without any pain to walk yeah. upstairs to not be limited if anything to feel powerful within your body yeah absolutely. Um, movement gives that to me and it gives it to all of our clients that's mm-hmm. that's why i'm passionate about movement yeah i agree with that movement is um it's the expression of the uh that like the multifaceted humans we are even mm-hmm. though just from a mechanical perspe- perspective humans just have Lots of joints, lots of bones, lots of muscles. Our inherent nature, in order to be be alive, is movement. You know, if we if we were to see a body on the floor that was movement moving, or even just breathing, because even micro movement still classifies as movement. The, the inhaling and the ex- exhalation, the movement of the ribs, we can tell that that person is just sleeping. But if we were just to look over, and there was a body there, and completely non-mobile or completely stiff or not moving there would be a momentary concern that is that body even alive Mm -hmm. you know and so this is why movement is that number one pillar for us because a it's very tangible it's where most um when we think fitness we generally have images in our head of like people moving throwing weights around or running or going for walks and when we uh humans are creatures of adaptation, right? And so the more time we spend moving, the better we get at that. 
the less time we spend moving, the less good we get at and we get more stiffer. And then the result of that is that that snowball effect where we get um, our health goes down, our well-being goes down, we get lethargic, and then we ultimately just are really as morbid as it may sound to many, it's we are accelerating that process of our human decay. The human body is, you know, somewhat breaking down. It's where we're on path, we're on the path to death from the moment we're born and if we don't allow ourselves to move and express ourselves it means that that path that we're taking is actually less enjoyable it's less fruitful right and that's a big thing for me as well like movement for me was actually um it was my first ability to express myself you know when i was young i just used to love like climbing trees and running around and that was just me as a kid and if we if we look at all children Children are running around and just like playing in the park and stuff, right? And so let's go down the trip down memory lane as well. Nav, tell me about uh, your journey from when you were younger and what were your kind of um, things of movement? What are the things that under the category of movement that you were engaging with when you were younger with Mm. and then where you are now? And also tell me some of the things that you may have picked up and learned about yourself along the way. Mm, mm. I'm very blessed and grateful for my physical exploration through life. Mm. Uh, I, from a very young age, started martial arts. I started mm-hmm. karate with my dad. He mm-hmm. was a fighter in Muay Thai and yeah, did karate. Yeah, yeah. How old, do you know how old you were? When we started. When you started, yeah. How old do you know you started martial arts? I think just through osmosis, we started from the age of like four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. dad taught us. I think it was as young as seven years old. He, mm. he got us some uniform made for us and oh, then he yeah, made yeah. Uh, a plan for my brother and I to teach us yeah. um, postures and sequences and, yeah. and carters and karate and stuff like yeah. that yeah. Um, from a very young age. So I did that for young. I was very active. I did a lot of stuff like BMX. Mm-hmm. Uh, we lived next to a park, so I was always on the monkey bars running and, yeah, yeah. and, and other activities like that. Played a lot of soccer, mm-hmm. AFL. Mm-hmm. So I've always enjoyed exploration of movement. Mm-hmm. It was also an outlet for me to release anger and energy and aggression. Yeah. yeah. And so I just did a lot of it. Yeah. Like if I was ever angry, I just went for a run. I yeah, run around yeah. the park for laps and laps and laps. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. And then as I got older, I moved into more specific Muay Thai. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I moved into bodybuilding yeah. and powerlifting and then – uh, mobility and movement, which is where I'm currently at. So mm-hmm. I've had a big array of different movements within my life. And the biggest things I've learned are the impact that our body has on our own well-being yeah. far greater than just the physical sense. Mm-hmm. So to not only feel comfortable in my body, but powerful within my body, to yeah. have the confidence to be able to hold myself upright. Mm-hmm. But then the other unknown benefits that I didn't know originally Yeah such as digestion and breathing mm. and how much like our breathing impacts our diaphragm, which impacts our digestion mm. and the massaging of our organs and operations mm. of our organs. And then the ability to regulate and my nervous system to yeah. be able to relax within stressful yeah. situations. Yeah. Uh, even little things like libido and sexual performance, yeah. you know, like yeah. these things that people probably don't think too much about, but yeah, the ability to think clearly, to have energy yes. throughout the day, yes. Yes. to sleep well, like yeah. something as simple as that. But mm. these are all like really positive 
benefits of movement that I've experienced. Yeah, let's let let me interject on that if I may. I want to paint a quick picture, a, a, a quick picture, <laughs> a quick picture for the audience, right? Because that's where we're trying to lead you guys to. You're listening to this podcast, maybe thinking that movement is all about the discussion of maybe lifting weights or running up and down hills or going for a walk with the dog or yoga. We generally paint the picture of movement like that. But what Nav is actually talking about right now, if we just take a moment to pause and we kind of imagine a person who is actually just sitting, maybe like us two sitting at this table right now, we're still moving even though we are sitting. And what's actually happening, if we kind of zoom in and hone in on our on our, on our our rib cage, our, our, our torso area, underneath that rib cage, every inhale and every exhale that we take, all of our organs that are squished in between all that those points, they're just kind of, as we inflate and deflate these rib cages, these it's like a pulsation that's going on. And that is also essential movement that obviously on a greater scale is expressed through training or these larger forms of movement. But even in stillness, there is still a good amount of movement happening as well. And I just want to also interject as well because I made some notes on what was my little journey of when I started when I was younger into what was movement to me back then and what was movement to me now. I started running and climbing trees when I was young. That was my thing. Like people always ask, there's a there's, in my social circle, there's a common joke that Josh doesn't know any of the movies. I really missed out on most of the movies as a kid because when everyone was like watching movies and stuff, I was like literally running, running around. I was like, I used to kick honky nuts and I used to throw sticks at trees and all that kind of stuff. And that was me because my body was full of beans. I did a, a short stints with gymnastics. I actually hated it because they, um, they tried to make me wear a leotard. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, nah, dad, I'm out. I, want, I, just, I was like, dad, I just want to do cartwheels and backflips. That's mm. it. I don't actually want to wear the leotard. Um, and then I'll make a funny joke of that in a second. Uh, so I did. I hated the gymnastics. And then I spent most of my childhood in school, I did soccer, rugby, cross country, and judo. They were my main things. I don't know you know that about me. I did judo. No, I actually just read the notes on that earlier. I was yeah, like, you, yeah, did judo. you did judo. Yeah, my dad put me into judo. And I did judo, rugby, and soccer um, mm. in the same year. Mm. Again, because I was a handful for my parents. Because all that my parents were watching TV. And I was just like running around, cutting myself up and running inside the house, bleeding. I'm like, I've done it again. you know. But So my dad was like, all right, we've got to get this kid into some sort of like physical activity because we know he's like a, a marble in a glass jar just like bouncing around all the time so um once i started to you know find my own feet out of school i found out that i was like really really good at soccer so i did stick with that for a good 16 year period but that's when i got more into the gym into lifting and, and then my natural expression was to lean towards calisthenics as well which is essentially a gymnastic style of tra- well gymnastics and calisthenics very much come in the same category Gym- gymnastics more of the i guess the artful expression of it where you're actually competing to um, be judged based on how well you perform and your technique where calisthenics is more of um, under the bracket of like the street workout the body weight workouts more of just getting strong through body weight training and I also did a lot of yoga at that time as well just as part of my own self-exploration journey then this is where the kicker comes I then I found a new form of movement expression in the form of stripping dancing and body rolling I, um, I spent a, a six and a half year period as a male stripper and as a topless waiter and because I was so athletically minded, I was one of the more talented body rollers, which helped me earn a lot of money. But it also helped me actually discover a lot about my own um, my own body, my own sexuality by doing lap dances, all this kind of st- stuff. And there was a huge amount of um, 
self-awareness that I managed to gain off that that I'm super grateful of and also tuned me into body language and then that segued me into obviously body language is understanding how to read people because I was in a sales environment and have to sell myself and sell lap dancers but then that rolled into understanding how much our well-being and our emotional state does affect our body and does affect our, our, um, our posture. And so then I started looking more into stillness and posture and walking and meditation and finding the link between that and my emotions. And then I had realized, I was like, oh, no, now I need to grow my emotional, you know, my EQ, not mm-hmm. my IQ. And I'm so surprised that that still falls under the category of movement because mm-hmm. that's an element of self-awareness, which is what the thing that we're constantly promoting, even in the last podcast, it was all about self-awareness. And then now that I'm a coach and actually into the gym and looking more into understanding the body on a deeper deeper level so that i can not only understand it for myself but understand it in a way that allows me to communicate it and coach that uh spent a lot of time as yourself knows as well with with the functional patterns the anatomy trains work which is all the fascial lines um again if you're a beginner you don't need to know these words at the moment frc functional range conditioning these are just some training protocols that are leading the industry at the moment that i really think are cool um and then at the moment i'm just doing some ultra marathon stuff endurance sports and ironman triathlon but that was one thing that I wanted to touch base on is the the emotional side of thing and understanding that our our body when it is in a physical state that is we can define that with a particular emotion you know when we are uh, when we are angry our body is doing a, a certain type of thing and it's holding a certain type of stiffness at that point in time just as much as when we are happy we're also experiencing a certain state within our body as well so um, is there anything that you want to add to that nav in terms of anything that I just talked about? Yeah, I think that's all great. What you're covering at the end there really brings to mind the study done where they tested people's uh, physiology, their posture, and the impact that had on their testosterone and cortisol. Mm. And where they found that people that had a closed-off posture, so shoulders rounded forward or um, more hunched over, crossed their arms, crossed their legs, like really shortening their posture – that had a reduction in testosterone mm-hmm. and an increase in the stress hormone cortisol. Yeah. And the opposite effect occurred when someone would have more of a open posture, like the Superman posture with the hands yeah. on their hips, legs yeah. open, yeah, chest yeah, tall. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Or seated upright with their legs open, their arms yeah. open sort of posture. Yeah. And those individuals had an increase in testosterone and mm-hmm. a decrease in cortisol. Yeah. And even if we just look at the diaphragm, which pumps more blood than mm-hmm. the heart itself. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. if we look at the diaphragm and that as a muscle itself, we're not yeah. just now looking at the movement of the muscle, but also what is the reaction of that movement of that muscle? Yeah. And same thing with the body as well. So it's movement's extremely important, not just from a sense of like appearance and performance and fitness, yeah. but also for our actual hormones, our well being, our neurotransmitters, yeah. our yeah. gut health and yeah. Just overall function, right? Everything. Yeah, yeah. We have, you know, apologies to the beginners that are listening to the episode right now. We've thrown a lot of big words at you at you all, and the that was kind of the point, right? We're not expecting you to understand what we're actually talking about in the last couple of minutes, but the idea of introducing this episode with delving into this stuff is to open your eyes up to that there is more to movement than just movement. And I, I'm looking at my laptop right now and that word that jumps out to me is stillness, you know, stillness and learning how to be still and spending time being still allows you to, scu- 
allows you to discover more about yourself and it allows you to discover more about and understand how your body works. And then the more you understand how your body works, the less fear you have to have around and the less confusion you have to have, have around it because inevitably in everybody's life and their health and fitness journey, things will come up. You get sick every now and then, you get crook or this muscle hurts or this shoulder hurts and that's part of the discovery and that's why you know, if I were to ask myself, hey Josh, what does movement mean to me? I'd put it on the three main words is movement means to me is expression, exploration and discovery, especially for people at their beginner journey, whether that's their beginner journey of their training journey or the beginner beginner phase of their life journey where it's just about that self-discovery phase, you know, like Nav and I where, well, you are 30, I'm just about to hit 30 and there's still, there's still these first couple of decades of your life. That is the phase where you have to figure yourself out. And that's why movement means so much to us. That's why movement gets to get its own full episode in the podcast because it's so valuable. And we're really trying to portray that message is that movement is more valuable than most people think. And because it doesn't get given that value, we have a state in society where a lot of people are stiff and sore and, and unable. And, you know, we are currently, Nav and I, we move well. And so we are able and we are the able that's here to help the more unable. So how about we uh, go into some more tangible stuff for more of the beginners, shall we? Let's do it. Let's do it. So I kind of want to start through like uh, – imagining that you, the listener, is sitting down with Nav and I, coaches, right? And treat this episode like it's your first personal training session where it's kind of like, all right, we're just going to have an overview and we're going to try and mentally gear you up to stepping into the gym and getting your head around what are these things, these fundamentals that you must be focusing on. And if you're a coach right now listening to the episode as well, thanks for tuning in. I appreciate that. You're all, you're one of us. And so listen to this part of the episode as learn from us on how we approach our clients and how we approach people coming into SMA, our 24-7 gym in Midvale, West Australia. Come down, check us out. So if someone has come in, we walk them through uh, a hierarchy. We like to take a bit of a, a sequential, a systemized approach is that we focus on this, then we focus on this, and then we focus on this. So again, if you know me, I love to draw models and I like to draw pyramids. So let's visualize a pyramid now, yeah? So the base of the pyramid is posture and awareness. And I'm going to throw mobility in there as well, right? So before we think about the running and the hiking and the sprinting and the jumping and the throwing the heavy weights up over our heads or like bench pressing a big weight or deadlifting a big weight or growing the booty or growing the whatever you want, the abs, the six pack, whatever you're trying to pursue right now, your foundational step is mobility, posture, and awareness, right? Nav, can you tell me under the umbrella of mobility and posture and awareness, what are some things that our beginners must be aware of in mobility, posture, and awareness? Mm, awesome. Perfect. So the reason why we want to address this prior to going into movement is because the movement is designed to bring a desired result, mm. like a, a specific result and if the system of the body isn't moving correctly for that or in alignment or posturally mm -hmm. then we're not going to get that desired result from the movement yes it's like you could do a bench press but is that bench press being done correctly yes. you could do a horizontal press but uh is is the movement being mm. accomplished so when we work with someone the first thing we address is their their posture their awareness of their mm -hmm. body and we want to be looking at Firstly, their spine, their mm -hmm. thoracic spine, the upper back yeah. sort of portion, the yep. thoracic spine, their lumbar, so their lower spine, mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. then the relationship between that and the hips as well. So we're trying yes. to look at things like, is there curvature within the spine? Are they in an mm-hmm. anterior tilt? So for people, that's like a, an arch in the lower back where the, the bum's a little bit more tilted high mm-hmm. up towards the roof mm-hmm. and tilted forward. And so we want to be looking at that system first with individuals. Mm-hmm. So we'll look at their posture and seeing how all that is in alignment, their shoulders from there, whether they could go into a, a full vertical hold with their hands up towards mm-hmm. the roof mm-hmm. with their neutral spine. So these are the things that we're trying to look at with an indi- individual yeah. first before we start to load up their body. Mm-hmm. Because if there is a dysfunction within that kinetic chain, within their posture, that then is going to play out within their movement. Yes. And that could create injury and mm-hmm. undesired results. Yeah. Yeah. I love that, Nav. So let, let's paint some pictures again for our audience because we're listening through the ears. So we have now just discussed the spine, right? So I usually commonly use the spine as an analogy to Jenga, yeah, because uh, Jenga is that game where you've just got all those blocks and you stack them up and then you've got to, you know, pull the block out and stack them on top of each other. And the concepts of stacking blocks on top of each other is very similar to how we describe the spine. The spine is also a series of little blocks, a series of little vertebrae just sitting on top of each other, right? And if, like, you were stacking a bunch of boxes, if you started to not perfectly stack those boxes where the first box you put down and then the next box is just slightly to the left and next one slightly to the left. If you keep stacking them to the left, eventually they'll fall over. I think there's a, um, there's like a like an app game that you can download and it's about stacking blocks and building a thing. It's called Stack Tower or something like that. I played it for ages. I remember I hated the game because it was so addictive. But mm. what happens that if you start stacking one direction – if you want to maintain that balance, you then have to start stacking the op- opposite direction just to uh, counteract that and you get this kind of angular stack going up, right? Mm. And so that's kind of how the spine works. And so if you start imagining the spine to be all these blocks that are stacked up, we have these common postures that are uh, kyphosis, lordosis, and scoliosis. So kyphosis is a posture considered um upper like rounding of the upper back so if someone was to kind of look like uh, quasimodo from um the hunchback of notre dame is that why am i quoting movies i'm <laughs> quoting movies and i haven't seen any <laughs> I, I can't help you there either that sounds i'm like i think you're on to it there, i'm though. pretty confident it's, it's um i know notre dame and i know hunchback so that's yeah it's the hunchback but it's that it's the the head really sits forward and the the um like the, the cat the chest is caved in so um think of an emotional state that is similar to kyphosis is kind of like um sadness and, and depression it's it's the sheltering of that um the sheltering of the chest area. And that's a big issue that if we then wanted to then test someone's like vertical or overhead position, they just can't because they're already leaning forward. And so the shoulders just don't work that well. So we also know if someone's in kyphosis, if you've got rounding of that upper back, your um, your happiness, sta- um, your emotional states, your positive emotional states are going to be harder for your body to get into. And so that is actually going to have a, a long-term effect on your mood as well. Um, then we go into uh, lordosis, which is like the the curvature of the low back. So it's kind of like the the swan back or the duck back. This is, from my experience, the the stripper back, yeah? I used to work at a strip club. I used to take my clothes off for money as a male. And so I was downstairs in the club with all the other guys and then we used to sell lap dances and all that kind of stuff. But then the women upstairs would be the female strippers and they would sell lap dances to the men. And all the women upstairs very commonly had very commonly had a um, 
all in high heels and they, they would have to stand to kind of pronounce their, their, their chest and their bust to make them look more seductive. But what that would do in turn is actually give them a lot of them really low back pain. And then when they started training, they would have a lot of, a, um, a lot of issues in their bodies as well. So that's lordosis. And yeah, that's lordosis. And the last one is scoliosis, which is if you're looking at someone from side on, their hip joints are probably to the left or to the right. And then their shoulder joints are to the left or the right. So they're kind of, kind of that, that old school hip hop left and right lean. And so once we realize that that primary structure, the spine is either twisted or off center or in a different way, imagine being someone trying to squat. You're then going to be squatting with one leg going slightly in a different le- area than the other area. And if you're someone that wants to have really, really sexy legs in a long-term goal, you're going to come up with hip pain, knee pain, maybe some ankle issues, but also you may find that one glute or one quad is going to be larger than the other, and that's not going to aid your pursuit of that physical journey. So that's what I mean as an example of not having a good spinal structure and how that can play out long term. So let's actually talk about breathing. I want to jump into breathing now because that aspect that affects the spine. As we know, or as we may know, or as we should know, the ribs actually attach into the spine, and so therefore all rib all rib cage movement will affect how the spine sits. Therefore, how the spine sits will affect where our shoulders sit. It'll affect where our head sits. Where our head sits will affect our balance. That will affect our moods and our well-being and so on. So breathing is ultimately this um, postural chain reaction just because of the ribs as well. So outside of the conversation about how breathing keeps us calm, breathing in is the thing that sucks oxygen into our bodies, which is actually what we need to thrive. You know, that well, you just survive that, that three, is it the rule of three or something? You need, um, uh, it's like three minutes without uh, oxygen, three days without water, and then three weeks without food, that, that basic rule of three. And that's just to illustrate how important breathing is, just from a well-being perspective. But from a performance perspective, if you don't have good breathing mechanics, i.e. your ribs don't, they don't, I say inflate and, and deflate a lot because that's what's happening is as you're inflating the ribs, the as you're inflating your lungs, the ribs are actually opening up and expanding. And this is the kick. I love saying this and explaining this to clients. If you think about it, when someone is anxious, your body goes tight. Or when you are concerned, you go tight. Even if you're just driving, driving home from work and you're in peak hour traffic and you feel like because it's bumper to bumper traffic, you feel like you may be more likely to get into an impact. And so the body can actually contract. And that's just a normal response to actually make us feel safer, right? So if we are in that moment more anxious, we are more tighter. When we now think about our breathing, anxiety is related to tension and anxiety is also related to our breath rate. And so if we can't even fully inhale and inflate those ribs to get all the oxygen in, our heart will have to beat faster to deliver oxygen around the body because there's just not enough coming in per breath. It's like, I'm going to breathe into the microphone. If it's like, if those short, short breaths, there's like fuck all oxygen coming into the lungs in that moment. And so then the, the lung, the, the heart's just going like doof, 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 just to keep delivering oxygen around. And, but if we're actually per breath, just, I'm not going to blow into the microphone because that ruin your ears, but
there is so much more oxygen coming in per breath, which means the heart can just do this one big, strong, powerful beat, just boom, boom, boom. And that style of, um, of existence is just far more superior, right? And when, as we know, when we are more calm, we feel stronger, we feel safer, and we're just more able to, to do things. We can just even think better, make better decisions and just enjoy that moment a lot more. And the breath is the thing that helps us like um, uh, thrive on a moment to moment by basis because the moment our breath changes, if our breath shortens, our heart rate has to increase. If our heart rate is, heart rate is increasing, therefore our natural anxiety levels are going to increase. That's not saying that we are anxious. It just means the body is on the anxiety scale and moving up that anxiety scale as opposed to moving back down the relaxed and composed side of the scale. So we will dive deeper into that style of stuff in, into this when we're in the stress episode. But it's to illustrate, again, that even just your ribs' ability to inflate and move, to open up, to allow oxygen, that's a very foundational, fundamental step that just people don't understand and people aren't taught that. And again, the goal of this podcast is to start bringing this to the conversation in the fitness world. And our goal is just to have... All the coaches around the world always talking about breath as just a foundational thing. Nav, is there anything that you want to add on to breath? Because you've probably done more breath-related work than I have. I think you hit it right on the head, really. Yeah, yeah we could really dive deep into it. But uh, if we're focusing on movement, the ability to expand our ribs mm. and to be able to connect to our more intrinsic system mm. of the spine can make a world of difference in our yeah, movement. And beautiful. like you mentioned, if our spine's off, our head's rolled forward, we're in a kyphosis and lordosis, uh, that's going to impact also our the weight that distributes through our feet, which can yep. impact our ankles, it could yeah. be our calves, our, yep. our uh, front of our shins, yes. our knees, yeah. our hips, everything. And so yep. um, something as simple as breathing can impact our movement quite dramatically. Yeah, there you go. That's it. If you have poor breathing, breathing is just a recipe for a shit time. Yeah, mm. I actually after after this conversation, I actually think it's probably worth us looking into just doing a breath only podcast episode. Let yeah. us let us know in the comments, audience, if you would like us to do an exclusive um, breath based uh, podcast. Because I'd also love the opportunity to talk about my my mouth taped half marathon that I did mm. the other week, which I won't delve into. But uh, that's an achievement that I'm really proud of, and I didn't realize I was going to be proud of it until I finished the race and how mm. good I felt. So how about we roll into the big six now, yeah? Beautiful, let's do it. So the big six, the big six is that next step on that that pyramid. Remember I described a pyramid earlier where we talked about mobility, posture, and awareness. It's your body's ability to move and your self-awareness around your body gives you stability. It gives you coordination. It stops you from being clumsy and it gives you more of a, it gives you a sense of symmetry within your body so that when you transition into the big six, which are the main exercises in the gym or the, the main movement patterns, your body body is more able to squat, bench, push up, kick, jump, all these kind of things that allow us to get these gains that we want, right? Do get stronger, faster, all that kind of stuff. So the big six is the six main movements that we teach all of our members coming into the gym. We may have mentioned that we have an intro session for our members that sign up. That's the, the personal training session that our members buy, and they actually get assessed on their big six. So these are the, the fancy words for the big six. Number one, horizontal push, hor- and then countdown. Number one is horizontal push. Number two is horizontal pull. Number three is vertical push. Number four is vertical pull. Number five is lower hinge. Number six is lower press. Very likely none of them may have made sense. So let me illustrate again. 
if imagine you're standing up right now, yeah? If you push forward, if you shove your hands forward, if, if someone's in front of you and to push them off you, that's what we call a horizontal push. You're producing force in a horizontal direction. And then opposite to that, if you were to pull your hands backwards, you're producing force in a rearward direction. So it's the kind of force that you'd be applying if you were playing tug of war with someone, not obviously aggressively leaning, but just having a nice gentle game of tug of war. It's that on the on a horizontal angle, you're pulling towards you. Yeah, So they're the first two, horizontal push, horizontal pull. And then if you were to put your arms overhead, wave your arms in the air like you just don't care, that is the vertical plane. So if you move your hands in an upward direction and you pu- and you push like that, that is the horizontal, the vertical push. So things like shoulder pressing or dumbbell pressing or military pressing or even things like handstands, that's all producing force on the horizontal angle. When we are then, imagine you're doing a pull-up or a chin-up or you're climbing or in, in machine gym terms, it's the lat pull-down. That's when you're doing a vertical pull, when you're actually then driving your arms, your shoulder blades, your elbow in a downward position to produce force in a downward motion, which essentially allows you to climb things, to climb higher. And then that's your first four, vertical, horizontal push-pull, vertical push-pull. And then the other two are the lower press and the lower hinge. The lower hinge being number five is the hip joint. That's where your pelvis is. And I kind of explain like uh, what a foosball table is, which is that little soccer soccer table thing when the, the, the poles go through the little characters and you spin them around. That's kind of that pivot point where the hips are. If you imagine there's like a rod going through your hip joint, and you were kind of folding at that hip joint, maybe like a birthday card. That's what uh, the main joint that is moving, and that is what works your hamstrings and your glutes, your butt muscles. And so those muscles are to produce force in a forward direction, which allows us to walk and run. Yeah. So when your, your butt muscles and the back of your thigh muscles are contracting, they allow your hips to drive forward, yeah? And that's like hip thrust, deadlift, um, the, like the, the hip extension, not the back extension, the hip extension. Those are the movements that fall under the category of the lower hinge. And then the last one is the lower press when you are moving, producing force in a downward direction. So anything that's relative to sitting, standing or jumping, it's that which in the gym is like squatting and leg pressing, right? Those are the lower pressing movements. So that's the big six. Fun fact about the big six, they are all bilateral movements, B-I-lateral. Bi, like bicycle, means two. So again, foundationally, we like to teach people the big six movements because the big six movements are bilateral. Bilateral movements tend to be easier to learn because they tend to be more stable. And so on this progression that we like to take people on of getting your your mobility, your posture and awareness, that gives you your stability and your awareness around your body, your coordination. And then we can start adding load to your body as you start to learn the big six. Now that you've learned, you've at least been briefed about the big six, you'll understand that most gym exercises are a variation of the big six. And then in a moment when I talk about the functional three is when we start going into more single-legged exercises as well. So bilateral is important for most beginners because bilaterals are easier to learn. And then when you go into the functional three, that's when you go to unilateral. Unilateral stuff is more single-arm or single-legged stuff where you might be rotation, rotating but more. Now, do you have anything to add to the big six conversation? They're the perfect exercises for the everyday person that we tend to work with. Yes. Yes. Like you mentioned, when we move, we do do 
the functional do-do. movements, do do. <laughs> uh, so we have rotational, unilateral, and, yes. and core mm-hmm. exercises as well. However, for the everyday person, moving into those exercises can be quite scary mm-hmm. and can be quite a learning experience. So mm. the big six really help people gain amazing results with their posture yeah, yeah. Uh, and just their movement in general. Yeah. And they're great ass- uh, assessments for us as coaches to look mm-hmm. at their movement, see how mm-hmm. their joints move and how their body moves in relationship uh, yeah. to other joints, how yeah. joints stack upon each other in specific movements. So yeah, correct. They're, they're a great way for our clients and for ourselves mm-hmm. to also assess. Yeah, beautiful. And these are the most common muscle building and fat loss movement patterns. That's what pretty much if you look at bodybuilders and you look at CrossFitters and you look at a lot of the athletes that we all, well, not we all, but we, a lot of us tend to aspire to be like, or at least just be inspired by most of the athletes out there that are the height, whether they're in uh, in the Olympics doing those kind of sports or playing the team sports like the NFL and the baseball and the soccer and the AFL and the basketball, they're all doing like squats and deadlifts and bench presses. They're doing a lot of that stuff and then as they become more advanced they're also doing all these fancy single-legged exercises which we'll talk about in a moment but these again the bilateral movements are your foundational strength builders all of your powerlifting exercises squat bench dead all three of those are bilateral movements and the other thing i forgot to mention is that we bias those around compound movements you know compound movements are the movements that involve lots of joints and lots of muscles rather than just sitting on a like a cable machine and tugging on it like a bicep curl that way be considered more of an isolation exercise they are they do serve a purpose but in terms of someone who really wants to build muscle get stronger improve their posture their well-being their performance the big six is 80 percent of that work for the for you for the vast majority of people for the vast majority of their first six to 12 months of training there'll be a lot of that stuff Should we move on to the functional three now, Nav? Let's do it. The functional three, core rotation and unilateral. So now we've just covered the big six, which is those two-legged, two-arm movements. The next section of the pyramid is the functional three because as a human, you've just now learnt how to do your squats and your deadlifts and your bench presses and your pull-ups, right? But the funny thing is a lot of those actual movements are not very similar to how we actually move as humans, right? A human actually does more um, integrated movement, which is like uh, running, jumping, climbing, walking upstairs, and any every sort of walk or throw or punch or kick, unless you're doing one of those hilarious two-footed kicks where you just jump in the air and push your legs out. It's all one leg forward, then the other one. So it's left foot, right foot, left foot, right foot. And as you're walking, your arms, your limbs are also doing things. Then you also think about when you're throwing. When I got learned to, when I when I got taught how to throw, I got taught the point aim throw method where you actually you point in the direction that you want to throw and then get your other arm back and then you spin your arms around that allows you to throw. Same as if you're doing boxing or sparring, you you throw your jab and then you throw your cross. You line up with your jab and you cross. I shouldn't be using fighting analogies because now, now you're better. You're an actual fighter, right? Um, but that was kind of close, right? Jab then cross. Yeah, yeah, there we yeah, go. yeah. So that is the what's actually happening is that you're, you have to start learn to learn how to allow your shoulders 
to rotate around your spine like your spine is like a flagpole. And again, that's why it's important for you to prioritize your spine first because if you have no spinal integrity, no strength through your spine and you start doing all this unilateral, this core rotational work, if your spine's on the piss in kyphosis or lordosis or scoliosis, it doesn't actually allow the shoulders to rotate. And therefore, if the spine is stiff or bent, then the ribs don't flex either. And then you have all these like well-being deficits because your breathing's out. So that again, the breathing and the spinal work is such a priority because it will affect your ability to do your bilateral movements when you start doing the big six because, quote unquote, you'll be on the piss, you'll be a bit crooked. And then when you go into your unilateral stuff, you can't get that rotation, which is because the, the flagpole's crooked it's bent and so by learning to get yourself tall when you then step into your your functional three and your rotational stuff everything just works smoother and everything works uh, more effectively there's one caveat on that if someone were to come to me as a client and they were all sorts of twisted and they were all sorts even if they had some quite extreme um, scoliosis or some kyphosis and stuff some of the best ways to help unlock their body and help them improve their bodily awareness is actually to teach them rotational work. Rotational work is actually a great way to help get the spine taller and and essentially untwist it. So that is a little note to take is that if someone actually is working with me to improve their posture and their awareness and mobility, I will very commonly and very often use a lot of rotational work. But that's helping to restore posture that's helping to Mm. uh, restore the awareness i'm not going to put them through high loading stuff which is a different thing yeah because again movement is about getting more familiar with all your joints and all of your body so that you can move but if you are then ready to start increasing performance then you're actually doing rotation with load you're doing core work with load you're doing explosive work with load and force and without that um that good foundation you can kind of injure yourself as well nav anything to add on the functional three yeah, on that last topic you're mentioning, someone with, uh, let's say, scoliosis or mm. uh, a lot of dysfunction within their spine. Although we look at the big six initially, mm-hmm. with some individuals, it might actually be detrimental and more dysfunctional for us to load up that spine in a bilateral way. Mm. And so this is where I think coaching or high quality coaching is extremely valuable, yeah. Yeah. which is yeah. why we're in that space. Like, we're not mm-hmm. a gym, we're necessarily a coaching service that utilizes a space as a gym Mm. right uh because if someone wants to follow a cookie cutter program or if they were to see a coach that didn't have awareness surrounding uh the spine and scoliosis Mm. and what have you then that individual is most likely going to go under a bar and do barbell back squats or they're going to do deadlifts for instance yeah and that could only in most cases it will create more uh dysfunctions and yeah. do more more harm which is yeah. why we're seeing such a influx of um surgery so yeah. many people are getting surgery it seems to be such an acceptance within society as well yeah. it's like, yeah. oh okay i'm in pain i'm gonna go just get surgery get my mm-hmm. acl done and then i'll come back and yeah do some more squats yeah absolutely yeah yeah that's it. also i want to add in i've actually got a client at the moment who has actually um come to me for acl rehab which i'm surprised because i am not a physiotherapist but because of the work i do and how i put myself out there um these people specifically wanted me to work on um with this young guys get his knee get his rehab sorted and I actually had him four weeks after his surgery and, and helped him with his, and I'm still in the process of helping his, him on his ACL rehab. 
I actually uh, broke the rule book a little bit. I had people, um, they he was seeing a physio and the physio shared with me the stuff that they wanted me to do, which was all bilateral stuff. And then I assessed him in his bilateral movement. And I and I spoke to his mum and I'm so, oh, sorry, I'm not going to do this bilateral movement. Mm. I'm gonna I'm gonna wear I'm gonna wear this. I'm gonna wear this if something goes wrong. I didn't say that to her because I just I just owned it and I said, I don't agree with the bilateral movement because mm. your son's just twisted. He is mm. so twisted. And I have actually done for the last three weeks exclusively rotational work and anti-rotation work, which is just a very similar style of training. And um, everything's been single-legged. And I haven't so- shown you yet, but he went for a jog down the running track yesterday and he actually nice. showed me. I said, just go for a little jog because I don't want you doing this all the time. But mm. the I was so pleased that the, the strategy that I chose to stick with had worked because I just knew that the bilateral wasn't going to help him. He was he was over that threshold. He was too twisted and the bilateral stuff, I just, I just couldn't see any sense in it whatsoever. Mm. And, um, that, and that was the first time I've made that decision with someone. I'm so glad that it worked because, uh, intuitively and all my experience told me that it focused on the unilateral stuff first. And that, that's what worked. Should we roll into some, some programming now? Let's do it. Programming. So the reason we just talk about programming is because, that is where the structure comes into, right? You need to follow some sort of progression, right? You're going to start from 10% and then you're going to work to 20%, then you're going to work to 30%, then you're going to work to 40% and so on and so forth. What people tend to miss is, again, is the patience. Patience is a big theme of what I want to share today as well because being patient with yourself and with your body is going to be the fastest way to go. If you have deficiencies, Allow yourself to meet yourself where those deficiencies are. Don't just throw yourself into your big six heavy, heavy lifting if you know your body is not actually holding itself together, right? And so periodization or progressive overload is a fundamental um, rule. It's a fundamental rule of training. People need to know that when they step into their gym and step into their training, they need to start from point A and then progress themselves all the way to point Z, yeah? Take yourself across the whole alphabet. Go to A to B to C to D, and that is you progressively increasing that. That is a very important thing. People miss that a lot. So another thing I'd like to talk about is uh, just strength versus hypertrophy and endurance reps. So did you want to add anything to periodization and progressive overload? No, and you pretty much covered it, but yeah. yeah, in short, it's basically the journey that individual will go on to go from point A to point Z. Correct. Yeah. And there's so many factors to that. So many factors, but it is, it is a simply put, yeah, it's a very simple thing to put down is just to say that you have to start from somewhere and then just work your way up the line. Yeah, that's a super important thing. And just using something like an app or actually getting a coach to write your program that allows you to periodize or even just having a notebook, having a notebook just somewhere where you can kind of log where your starting point is with your weights or your distances or your um, or your speeds or your intensity. You're just making sure that you're just you know, increasing the intensity by like kind of 10% each time is a general rule of thumb. Going to strength versus hypertrophy versus endurance reps, these are all kind of big words, but I just wanted to touch base on them just to get people familiar with uh, how different styles of loading when you're dealing with weights, how they can um, affect the way your body responds to them. So really, if we just kind of focus on like hypertrophy versus strength, strength is stuff that more um, athletes tend to do. Strength is under the bracket of relative strength, which is where people get confused. People think that more muscle is more strength. 
to a degree it is, right? But in terms of like our field and the lifting and the lifting scene, what we want people to really understand is it's more related to your nervous system. So what would happen? Your brain sends an an elect and and sorry, let me get this right. Your brain sends an electrical impulse, a little charge. Pew, and it comes from your brain and it shoots down your nervous system and goes into a into I was going to say a light bulb into your muscle. Like a light bulb, you have a battery as the power source and it sends an electron all the way through that cable into that light bulb to light it up. That's what your body does. And so the light bulb is like your muscle. If you had a bigger muscle, like a bigger light bulb, it will also shine brighter. But it's your body's ability to send those electrical impulses to those muscles to make them contract. And so that's why athletes use them because athletes want to be light. They want to, especially like a jockey or a fighter, they need to hit a weight class. And so they want their body to have the maximum amount of power whilst being very efficient, right? And it doesn't cost them energy. So they, the athlete would want their body's nervous system to send those charges better. And so when you're doing pure strength training, you have to either lift very, very heavy. So you're teaching your body to send more charge or if you're trying to develop that power, you have to lift with like explosiveness because then you're still sending those electrical surges through your body. That's what more nervous system training works with. And because you're lifting so heavy or lifting so intensity with so much intensity, you have to have shorter, shorter sets. So, you know, generally between one and five repetitions of a really heavy weight is enough. And then you know, somewhere between, you know, four, five, six, even upwards of like eight, nine, ten sets if you're doing pure powerlifting, right? But you generally have like slightly higher sets and slightly lower reps when you're doing your strength training or power training. Then on the other side of the queen, when you're doing your endurance training, that's all the hypertrophy. Hypertrophy is by definition increase of cell size in the muscle, I believe. Cell size or cell count, I always forget, but I think it's increase in cell size. But when you're building muscle hypertrophy, what you're actually doing is you are trying to increase the size of that muscle. And that's where tone comes from. That's where the that's the bodybuilding foundation, right? And that's what most people generally crave. The general population want to have more muscle tone and more muscle definition. And so that's where your classic three sets of 10 or three sets of 12, because that is you, your body pumping blood flow into the system, into that muscle by relaxing, contracting, relaxing, contracting, relaxing, contracting over and over and over again, causing that fatigue, which causes that muscle to want to grow, to become thicker so it can handle that. That is the difference between strength and hypertrophy, and that's what I really wanted to share. Anything about adding to that, Nav, about strength and hypertrophy? That's perfect. Covered. Yeah, cool. Let's move on to the next part. And that is our key takeaways and action steps. That's landing the plane. We have given you a, given you, we have given you a lot of, of information here, hopefully to get you excited about the possibilities that you can have by really delving into movement now. So in terms of key takeaways, Nav, what would you say is your your first key takeaway or action step that you can really make sure that our listeners are, are focusing on this when they finish up with this podcast and start heading into the gym? Yeah. So firstly, as we mentioned at the start of this podcast is breathing and posture. Yeah, very good. So getting into the breathing and posture, uh, the reason why is because our as we mentioned, our spine, our, our mm-hmm. posture, our breathing impacts our movement. And then depending on that, we want to determine the movement that we do. So yeah. if we're going to move into some sort of sport or the big six mm-hmm. functional three, mm-hmm. 
which kind of links into the next key. Yeah, yeah. Then we want to make sure that our breathing and posture allows us to be able to thrive within those environments, yeah. not create more pain and dysfunction. So yeah, I would say that's the first key takeaway. So start practice breathing. Start yeah. holding your posture and playing around with your posture. Mm. What feels like... Uh, you're in alignment or out of alignment. Yeah. yeah. Even, Get enthusiastic about it, guys. Get excited about it, yeah? Yeah, I even have a practice with my clients where I'll get them to stand in front of the mirror and look at their mm. posture, then close their eyes, shake out their body, and just get into a nice, relaxed position. Mm. What they feel is relaxed, open their eyes and look in the mirror. And the reason why is because people have an idea of what their body feels like, but they don't actually see that within the mirror. So they don't yeah. actually know that, okay, this current posture is actually me in kyphosis, rounded shoulders. But if they open up their eyes and look in the mirror and they go, oh, okay, that feels normal for me, but it might not be the most functional posture yeah. for me, which yeah. is going to help me in my life. And mm -hmm. so from there, they can then correct themselves in the mirror, mm -hmm. get a more upright uh, position, more alignment with their posture, yeah. and then be able to close their eyes and feel into that again. Because mm -hmm. in most cases, good posture and correct breathing is actually going to feel uncomfortable. Yeah, it's going to feel incorrect. It's going to feel uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. It's going to feel strange, yeah. and there needs to be that exploration of breathing and posture for them to shift their current patterns and their current attachment to their their breathing and their posture. Yeah, well put, well put. I like that. So, what's the uh, what's your next key takeaway? Well, starting an in intentional movement practice now, making a thing of it. I guess we've just mentioned mentioned the foundations of making a thing of it and getting enthusiastic getting enthusiastic about your breathing and your posture. Now it's getting enthusiastic about the big six and the functional three. And so really have a think about getting into a structured training plan and, and getting into the gym where you are exploring uh, what is the big six to you and, and what variations of the big six work for you. When I sit down with my clients, especially when I run intro sessions at the gym, when I sit down with someone and say, I'm going to teach you the horizontal push, we also need to figure out what is the best horizontal push for their body some people might like a push-up on the ground on parallettes or on a barbell depending on their strength level some people may prefer a barbell bench press some people may prefer a dumbbell bench press and they need to start figuring that out for themselves and the only way they're going to do that is through trial and error and so learning to understand that it's part of the process to go into the gym and make mistakes and start refining their technique and exploring their body with um, with what works and what doesn't work. So really bringing that, that big six concept into the forefront of your mind and making sure that your training program is built around the big six, which if any coach writes a program, it will be, but a lot of people write their own programs. A lot of people write their own programs and kick off with exercises that shouldn't be at the beginning of their program like bicep curls that's probably my biggest trigger is to see people doing bicep curls when they start it means they're not prioritizing their big six and then once they prioritize their big six that will lead them into the functional three as well so an intentional movement practice that leads into the big six and the functional three and then what would you say is then i guess the third action step nav coming out of that well, to bring it all together, yep. we need to make sure we have the space to do it, right? The space to do it. Yeah, Extremely that's important. Sometimes mm -hmm. it's as simple as putting it out to the calendar. Hey, this is going to be my practice time. This is going to mm -hmm. be my dedicated time to practice my, my yeah. technique, to practice yeah. your breath, your posture, mm -hmm. and to actually go to the gym or do it at home and practice yep. the big six or yeah. the functional three. Yes. yes. And so the final key takeaway is to take action, set up a plan mm -hmm. and start to follow that plan 
and reap the benefits. Mm -hmm. I agree with that. I want to sign off there now that we've actually bombarded our audience with lots of information today. So hopefully these key takeaways will help you give you some direction on what you need to do moving forward. Please, 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 as soon as you finish this podcast, have a think about your schedule moving forward. Have a think about do you have enough time to practice at home or even in the car if you want to do breath work and stuff like that, which we have available for all of our members inside the SMA app. If you're SMA member, your breathwork tutorial by Nav is inside the app, which you can do at home or inside your car. That's going to help you learn more about your breathing air. So putting those those scheduled time to make sure it's going to happen so you're continually developing. Any other things or final notes that you want to give to the audience before we sign out? Uh, get onto it. Get onto get it. Onto yeah, it. Yeah, just get three, onto it. Three to five hours a week, mm. literally, three to five hours a week can change your life. It really can. And it that's really can. in the in the 168 yeah. hours in a week that we have, three to five hours of exercise will absolutely yeah. change someone's life. And yeah. you probably spend that amount of time in a day or two just watching Netflix or YouTube. Yeah, anyway. 100% can. 100% can. Beautiful. Nav, give us a fist bump. Let's sign off. Beautiful. Thanks, audience. We'll see you next month for the next episode, which we deep, do the deep delve into nutrition. And I'm looking forward to it because I love food. Awesome. See you all there, guys. All right. Adios, everyone. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye.